Hello, and welcome to the Pilgrim's Digress on Chapter 16, Heathens, Hypocrites, Wizards, and Devils, which was one of two possible chapters, the other being Devilish Prank, which hmm. is what uh, Bunyan has Christian called Demoss's, but but like I mentioned... Sounds like a... Uh, in the like last Christian uh, thing, yeah, it's punk band, <laughs> Christian punk, band. devilish prank. I feel like if someone dies, it's less of a prank, and uh, more of like uh, depending I don't know, on what crime. era you're in. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> so we are going to be talking about two things here. One is Hill Luker and this brigand Dimas, and the other is the contingent of men from the town of Fair Speech whom we have heard referenced and seen playing cards. But here we see what they're all really about at the end of the day uh, and how they think they're good at debating. This is buy-ins, money love, hold the world, and save all. Uh, these guys are on pilgrimage, but as means to their own ends. Uh, and, and they don't want to have to give everything up to walk this pilgrim road. They don't want to have to deny themselves or pick up any crosses or even lay down any wealth. <laughs> or maybe they want to gain more wealth. Yeah. En route. So even though the, there's kind of bookends around the episode, let's just start with talking about uh, buy-ins and company and then talk about Dimas. Uh, they're from the town of Fair Speech. Right off the bat, this is a alarm bell to Christian, but not hopeful. Hopeful's mm -hmm. heard some good things about it. There's some, yeah. there's some welfare. And I think you get a little you know, hint here that hopeful is a baby Christian, uh, he, which obviously we know. He yeah. just came to faith. It's good that he's got Christian. I really relate to this at the moment. Um, this idea of, of, of a minute ago, Christian was the Padawan. You know, <laughs> he's right. He he and Faithful both knew that even though Faithful had come up behind him, that Faithful's uh, approach to things was going to be more spirit filled. He was going to be less likely to become immediately despairing or lash out. You know, he, he just, he was very mature. And, and so these two guys, as iron sharpens iron, they're sharpening each other. But I think if it's time for one to lean on the other, nine out of ten times, it's Christian on faithful. Now, it's Christian as the mature one. Mm. And I'm saying I relate to it because I had yet another pastor that's been kind of a mentor to me retire recently. I still feel like, and this is maybe like a young Gen X and millennial thing. Like, I'm the young guy on the totem pole, and, like, you know, I, I ought to be mentored. And yet, I'm, you know, more than probably halfway through my ministry, and I when we went to this uh, denominational gathering this past weekend, it it was mostly pastors that are younger than, than me. Mm. So, you know, this realization that, like, I need I need to still be discipled, but I can't make being discipled, even amongst my fellow ministers, my main thing. I've got to be now pouring into other people. And Christian's got this just boom, all at once on him. And he's saves Hopeful from something awful here coming mm -hmm. up. What is your experience with this kind of stuff? Have you had a moment or a situation where you thought, oh yeah, I've just moved from the one who's being poured into by someone else's ministry to the person who's being looked to for wisdom, for courage, or, or whatever. I think that there were a lot of unique, I'll say, factors that were at play. I was I was saved alongside like a group of individuals, a group of people that were all friends and kind of knew each other and stuff like that. So I think I matured the quickest. So I had a lot of people looking to me as a fairly baby Christian. 
And there was, yeah, one guy kind of above us that okay. knew more than any of us uh-huh. because he'd been a Christian his entire life. But you brought most of these other people to people Christ. Of faith. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. You, you're in a sense almost a spiritual father, even though you're only like 20 minutes older than them. Right. And, and, you know, the kind of allegory yeah. of your life. Uh-huh. Yeah. And also, I think, that, I think that personality plays a bit of a role here, too. How hungry you are and thirsty you are to grow and to change and to take the scriptures seriously and to sow them into your hearts. Um, people are going to mature at different rates. Everyone needs discipleship, but I think that they need it in different degrees as they grow. And I think that I I sprang up quickly, quick, quicker than other people that I was around, I, I suppose is fair, mm-hmm. at the time. Spiritual growth spurt. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then but, started and to probably pour into them. because the Spirit was providing for your group of, right. of pilgrims. And, yeah. And someone had to be the leader. Yeah. And then I would say that it kind of even happened backwards where I didn't even realize that I, I had neglected discipleship in my own self. Uh, okay. I was so concerned with everyone else in my group that I took very, very little stock of myself and my own spiritual needs and my own... And yeah. right about, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd say like five years ago or something like that, there was a bunch of hard stuff that kind of hit me and my wife all at the same time. And it became painfully obvious how little Christian growth inside of myself had actually occurred mm. because I'd been so outwardly looking that I wasn't able to really stand um, a lot of stuff. And I was, I, was, I was beaten down quite well. I suppose you could say also to my benefit, humbled, mm. you know, greatly um, as far as my own image of myself versus who I really am. So I think it, I think it kind of happened maybe backwards for me where I started growth and then I didn't even realize the importance of being discipled and, and, and being led and stuff like that until it was necessary <laughs> or yeah. it, was, it was made necessary. We talked a bit about that with the approach of the slough. Yeah. How Christian as this, um, I mean, he's not a new convert yet, but he's a new pilgrim. How he makes that misstep into the slough, mm-hmm. uh, doesn't see the signs, doesn't see the steps, perhaps because he's busy, even in his the newness of his, yeah. his pilgrimage, ministering to someone else. That's exactly it. But, I mean, good grief. Are we going to say that's not God at work? Obviously it is. Uh, when a, a new Christian is filled with zeal, mm-hmm. and, and often that becomes one of the most fruitful seasons in someone's life is yeah. like right because maybe not because the the zeal dies away but because all their old relationships are still intact as yeah. such and they have almost innumerable opportunities to bring the gospel to people yeah. uh, and to to show the gospel as real in their in their comport and everything that's interesting yeah so so almost the opposite thing where there, there's no pilgrim's progress <laughs> right is it not a perfect book? It doesn't yeah. fit everyone's life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who yeah, but I portrayed Christian as having almost a little crisis of like, man, I miss I miss Faithful on one level because I'm just sad he's dead and mm-hmm. we got robbed out of a real time together on pilgrimage. But also I miss him because I know he would have known the thing to say. Yeah. Why would God have taken away the one who would know the thing to say? And the answer is probably at least partially so that you would step up and actually mature and start knowing the thing to say, and, mm-hmm. and you know, it, he'll figure it out. Right. He's a bit of a jerk to these guys. <laughs> he recognizes it, but it's not just practice. I mean, people they spiritually go over the cliff because of this stuff. And it's and, not unbiblical. I mean, I mean, you could read certain writings of Paul and say that mm, is that the nicest thing to say in a moment. Right. You know, no, it's not the nicest thing to say. But I mean, is it true? Yes. Right. Yeah. Or, or even when he, you know, kind of coarsely talks about, well, I hope the next time you circumcise... Go all the way. Go all yeah. the way. Mm-hmm. Things like that, where you go, well, you know, 
maybe temper the tongue a bit, but it's the word of God. It's yeah. the writing of the spirit. So yeah, how much of there is there Jesus truth? also, there's plenty of times sure. when you go, well, that could have been said a little more meek and mild there, gentle yeah. Jesus. And yet he knew the hearts and he knew that. So it requires discernment. I doubt there's anything when we, as we get into what these guys believe and how entrenched they are into their positions, I doubt there's anything apart, obviously, from the working of the Spirit, that Christian could have said, whether it was really harsh or really kid gloves, that would have even made them stop and reconsider their own positions. And again, not unlike formalist and hypocrisy, this is a time-honored tradition yeah. that they've been raised in and their fathers and their, and their ancestors. And so who are you to lord it over my faith or tell me what I must do? And it's going to become defensive no matter what. And I think... You know, now that, now that we talk about it a little bit more, I think probably the best shot he had was just being super direct and saying, I'm not going to sugarcoat this with fair speech. Mm-hmm. This is just going to be true speech. The truth in love, because I do love you and I'm heartbroken that you're on the, you're on the right road for the wrong reason and you're not going to get to the right destination. Yeah. Uh, when, he, when he does call them on being from fair speech, uh, he quotes Proverbs 26, 24, and 25. Beware of the man of fair speech. There are seven abominations on his tongue, in his mouth, something like that. Uh, and then... The other reference here is Romans 16, 18 in the version we're using in the, in the footnote. Uh, and I'm going to read 17 and 18. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. We could probably translate that by fair speech and flattery. These guys definitely would love to deceive a pilgrim. They'd love to come across just hopeful and win him over to their their view, don't you think? Yes. And when you read this text, avoid them. Was Christian maybe even wrong to even engage them? Should he have Mm. just said, I see what you're all about. Come on, hopeful. Let's go. Suss them out and then go, oh, this is dangerous. Which is what he ultimately does. He says, either either you listen or we part ways. So, yeah, he does does follow this instruction. He then goes through the uh, list of his impressive kinsmen and uh, the, the, the men of fair speech. We've already run into a few of these guys. Uh, and I, I think that the most famous name in all of Pilgrim's Progress to many people is Mr. Facing Both Ways, who's only mentioned very <laughs> briefly. There's also Mr. Anything, uh, Lord Turnabout, Lord Time Server, Lord Fair Speech, who is you know, a descendant of the founders, and then Mr. Two Tongues, who is the parson. And uh, Mr. Two Tongues points us to 1 Timothy 3 8. This is, of course, qualifications for deacons. Right off the bat, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They couldn't be deacons, these guys, but yeah. probably some of them are. Hmm. Right? I mean, in a town like Fair Speech, that's probably a, a position of honor and there's a wait list for yeah. it. Yeah. You could talk your way into past these things. You remember in uh, Maybe Not, it's a show that's before your time, but there's a show called Everybody Loves Raymond. You know the show. One of my favorite episodes of television because it's about church. And uh, the the father is trying to get his son, Ray, to go to church. Sure. And the way he does it is by saying, go to church. And Ray <laughs> says, no. And then his rebuttal is a little bit louder. Go to church. Finally gets him to go to church. And yeah. Ray finds out his dad 
collects the offering okay. and then goes with the other guys into the, the narthex of the church and just shoots the bull for the remainder of the service. Wow. It doesn't have to be in there for all the boring stuff. And Ray's like, oh, sign me up. And he's like, are you kidding me? Like nine men would have to die before you could do this. And I get the impression that in fair speech, we have a similar situation. Interesting. You know, being in a position of, of, of great honor is being someone who doesn't have to pay the, the fine for missing service or who doesn't really have to take part in it, but can just kind of sit in a seat of honor, be honored, and then be on their way. Being a deacon definitely precludes being double-tongued. And and that brings us, I mean, it reminds you of James, right? Mm-hmm. That term? Yeah. And uh, talking about, can you have fresh water and salt water from the same spring? Yeah. Literally, impo- I read that kind of stuff. Double-minded. And think, yeah. I wish I could keep that on my mind all the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I wish I had a visual... Somebody should make these, like, Google Glasses for, for Pilgrims, where <laughs> it shows, like, how you're doing. It'd be like a, like a blue yeah. silhouette of a person, and then when you start acting or thinking or speaking in the flesh, like, it starts edging in, like, red or something, oh, and you yeah. see, oh, 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 I'm in the flesh now. <laughs> Interesting. I'm becoming double-minded. I'm becoming double-tongued in my speech. Yeah. Two tongues, of course, in our version, has said he's expected to condemn all kinds of drunkenness and idleness and things from the pulpit, but they're a little more reasonable when they get together, yeah. you know, on a, on a Friday night. It's they're, just something you say. Yeah, it's, it's, we say the right stuff because it's fair speech. Mm-hmm. This is, we are, we believe in fair speech. It, the, it's the kind of thing, you know, the, the people who were horribly offended the first time, you know, a borderline curse word was uttered on television. Hmm weren't horribly offended because they never said those words. Not all of them. It was because you don't say that in this setting. Hmm. You got two tongues. You got one for life and then one for... And, and even if it's way late at night and children aren't going to hear it, we don't. you don't do that. Hmm. I, we do that, I think, a lot with church. There, I, I've had people at funerals occasionally get really upset and say something a little off color and then say, I'm so sorry I said that in church. And I'm like, hey. Yeah. God hears you wherever. God knows you're, you're hurting. God feels your pain. God loves you. And I wouldn't worry that, you, that it was in church. That's very two-tongues thinking, very fair speech thinking. It's how Chicago is. <laughs> it's a deep cut That's, for anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you listen to also a, a completely different podcast, a bonus episode so. of a different podcast, yeah. you know, that's good. That's good stuff. If you're a Patreon subscriber, I'm going to drop that episode in the feed, and then you're going to be like, oh, that's who Mr. Sagacity is. Ah. He was in Chicago. Okay. Fair speech only goes so far, though, because once they start suggesting there's something wrong with the religion of of the town, he starts getting rather abrupt. Yeah. A little catty. Yeah. Uh, And Baez tells him, you ought not to impose this upon me, nor coerce my faith. Rather, respect my liberty and allow me to travel with you. Uh, How Uh, often have you heard that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's American religion today in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, listen, I don't want any of this conviction. I don't want any of this uh, law. Yeah, certainly. There's no law. Thou shalt not judge. Yeah, Only God can judge me. Doesn't Jesus say, mm-hmm. judge not? Um, I don't know. Did Jesus also <laughs> say, judge righteously? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone knows you that a, verse. And a no list other of verse. people that won't but inherit the kingdom of heaven. But <laughs> Okay. I, and of course, you know, you, you can say we're not under law, we're under grace if you want to get dichotomous about mm-hmm. this kind of thing and not fully grasp what we're doing. Yeah. But uh, law as a category doesn't cease to be. Jesus didn't come to abolish law. Yeah. He fulfills it. And in that, there is a law of love and there's a lot of 
positive law and prohibitive law in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. And it's not that it saves you, but whether or not you embrace and love that law will indicate fruit levels that will indicate whether or not you really were saved by grace through faith. Yeah. Um, this, I don't know if you've been listening to uh, Ligonier's uh, thing this, this month so far on, on Reformation, uh, but Sinclair Ferguson today on what does the Reformation mean? Mm. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. You, you, people are always going to think they can either do good enough, and it's, imagine this with the, the right accent, or you want me to try the accent? <laughs> no, me neither. No. Um, I, think, I think I can do one offensive enough. One yeah. line about the Armenian. Oh yeah, <laughs> but yeah. um, or they'll think they can do enough good, or be sorry enough mm. for the bad they've done, and neither of those can save you. Uh, that's the the gospel at its core. Second Corinthians one twenty four reads: Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. And this is going to be the first of many times in which buy-ins and buddies, uh, that's what I'm going to call them, uh, <laughs> buy-ins and friends, rhymes, let's yeah, do that, uh, <laughs> are going to kind of quote scripture or reference yeah. scripture or twist scripture. Uh, and somebody quoting scripture to you doth not mean that that person is actually promoting a biblical worldview yeah. or values or truth. Uh, absolutely not. And they're they're very adept at it. Uh, now, granted, Bayans doesn't know the story of Shechem, which is a pretty basic. Well, a good uh, argument isn't story. a right ar- argument, right? You know, mm. it's it's illegal. It's, it's like you, you can make a good argument for a lot of things on this planet, but it doesn't make it a right argument. Uh, yeah, and you and can also you, make a bad argument where you just yeah. reference undisputed sources, whatever you want. Yeah, yeah, but it, it that that ability to just use scripture and then say that you can't question it. Because because I'm pretending like our authority is the same, because I'm willing to pretend that my authority is scripture, and I know your authority is scripture, I can just rip out whatever I want and use it, and mm-hmm. you will have to obey me. You will have to listen to and me. And if I'm into smooth talk, yeah, and with a dash of flattery, I can make it sound. I good. can make you like I can bring your defenses down and sh- just kind of slide this stuff over the top, and you'll go, oh, this is all biblical. Yeah, okay. Yeah, giant white pearly teeth. That's all I think about. <laughs> On the cover of a hardcover book? Yeah. Just yep. chomping at me. Chomping. I see it in my nightmares, actually. <laughs> a big smile. Yeah. Those chomping after just me. I'm running down. down as fast as I can. Oh, yeah. death by veneers. Yeah. Death by $60,000 veneers. Yeah. Gosh, what a way to go. But a lot of people fall into it. Yeah. Absolutely. These guys uh, have a, a, a real background, a, a pedigree. They've been trained at the prestigious Love Gain Academy by the schoolmaster, Mr. Greitman. Uh, Love Gain <laughs> is in, and I got to tell you this, man, it took me several tries, not to say Covington County, which sounds like a, probably a real place Definitely in England. Is. 100%. And it said to say Coveting, Coveting County yeah. in the north. I left in the north off because I didn't want to offend you and your people. Uh, okay. I believe Bunyan is making a little reference to uh, oh, the Irish. kind of the, the the predatory evil of the people in the north. Sure. Uh, and uh, eat your children. Yeah, Don't I know that the... you, sir. Uh, you, you come from some of that stock, and yeah. and you're a good guy. And uh, I didn't I didn't want to. Oh, thanks. I'm <laughs> glad we I'm, I'm glad we're able to build these uh, racial br- bridges here. <laughs> On this podcast, hey, there's reconciliation happening Reconcili- all the time, here. right? Yeah. You know, if people when people see you like see pictures of us together, they're like, "Wow, yeah. how do you guys podcast? How together? does that happen? Your background's so different. Want to use Dutch <laughs> and want to use Irish, and here we are making peace." So, 
granted, I don't know if Bunyan had any sense that in the north hmm. was some of the most ancient Christianity sure. on the planet. Well, he wasn't a largely schooled individual, so probably not. Yeah, right. right. I mean, so, so he's going by what people in Bedford sure. generally know and what they think. And you have to just forgive people for that when you, in a, a, by no merit of your own, find yourself in a more quote-unquote enlightened time or at least a more knowledgeable time hmm. and go, how did you make this broad statement? Well, because they had no way of not knowing it was true. Yeah. And that schoolmaster taught them the art of acquisition, uh, and and they got this stuff uh, that they acquired either by violence or by, holy cow, cozenage? Is that a word? Cheating. <laughs> you just made it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably saying it wrong. Flattery by lying or by masquerading as religious. Hmm. You know, the guise of piety is a great way to get what you want. Yeah. See also the aforementioned super pearly whites yeah. uh, on the cover of, of best-selling religious books. What does it say in 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 6? For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never come with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. So he was accused of doing what these guys were trained to do, mm -hmm. using their religious veneer and their super white veneers, super apostle style, to yeah. go in and, and enrich themselves. They're not even going to beat around the bush and use euphemisms about what they're doing. When they're talking amongst themselves, they talk about enriching themselves, getting rich via yeah. religion and how okay it is. Yeah, there's no tact. And they've, they've literally trained to do it. And, you know, there are undoubtedly many settings today where this is happening. You know, this is going to sound crass, but it takes money to run a church, takes money to mm. do these things. So this is how you get money. It's how you manipulate people to give money. This is how you can appear to be the right kind of righteous to mm. turn people's hearts. It all goes back to Finney, perhaps. Uh, no, it doesn't because this well, is long it. before Finney. But, um, we've seen it a couple times in the church. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Tinsel. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, so so yeah. The the notion that in fact maybe that since it's October and we're mm -hmm. coming up on Reformation Day to think yeah. about like the idea of selling indulgences. Yeah. That's very much along these same lines because we're going to say, aren't you pious? Don't you care? You care about yeah. those who are in purgatory right now, and isn't it worth a little, a few coins from your pocket to ease that suffering? Yeah. You come off looking righteous, even as the money comes your way. That's not too far off from a far different looking, you know, on the surface, it's, it's very different. You turn on religious TV or whatever, and yet it, at the heart is the same. I mean, I think Reverend Two Tongues is down with any, any and all, you know, all the above, whatever sure. will work uh, sure. in the moment. After that first brief interaction, he's, he's all kind of like, not, he's not doubting his own religiosity. He's just feeling down that he didn't adequately defend it. And that there's somebody out there who thinks he might be hmm. spiritually a bit of a huckster. And, of course, all three of these other guys tell him, it's not you, it's him. 
Mm-hmm. It's not us, it's them. And Save All comes in with... We have read of some that are excessively righteous, and this rigidity of such men constrains them to judge and condemn everyone except themselves. This is a great description of how most people who considered themselves Christians and part of the church thought of the Puritans. Right. They're excessively righteous and religious. We might even throw the term Pharisee at them, even Mm. though the Pharisees weren't concerned about their own hearts. You know, they're almost the opposite of the Pharisees, but we might throw that term at them. And don't worry about them. Uh, Ecclesiastes 7.16 is uh, footnoted here. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Once again, we're now taking language from Scripture and applying it in a very satanic way. Yeah. What a dangerous thing to do. And these guys do it like it's a, like it's a parlor game. Yeah. It, it's, it gives me chills. And, and yet it's happening all the time, you know. Yeah. Uh, when I hear someone rip a verse out of uh, context and use it for something that has not anything to do with that verse, it, I don't like to hear that. It, yeah. it hurts a little bit. It's like you're, you're doing something vulgar with something sacred. But when someone takes a verse out of its context and then uses it for the opposite of what it's intended to mean, right. that is what Satan did in the wilderness when he tempted Jesus. Yeah. It's scary. And, and yet... Well, you're like your father. A lot. Well, right, you yeah. Know? I mean, that's... Absolutely. You're, you're, you take right after him. They have a good teacher. What, do, what does he mean here? Do not be overly righteous. Do not make yourself too wise. He means don't be overly righteous in your, in your own eyes. He's not saying don't become too wise. Yeah. Don't make yourself out to be too wise. Um, if I would give it a little context, in my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be, be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Um, and of course, a lot of what you read about in Ecclesiastes is not even, here's the best way to live. It's like you're walking through the autobiography of Solomon, mm-hmm. showing us everything he's tried, all these conclusions he's come to. And then again and again, he'll tell us, but, but meaningless, meaningless. This too was meaningless, a chase after the wind. And a lot of people like to grab a little, you know, it says, it says all I can do is find some satisfaction in my life, my wife, the work of my hands, and this is it. So that's biblical. Well, no, because he comes to the end of himself and realizes once again, that's, that's vanity. It's vanity of vanities. And so Ecclesiastes is a great store chest of contextless <laughs> proof texts. Right. Uh, <laughs> what is the old that's adage you hear that. all the time in seminary that the text without a context is a pretext for a proof text? Wow. <laughs> huh? a, lot of, a lot of cleverness there if you take the time to suss it out. Uh, don't bother, though. It's not, that, it's not rewarding. But here, here's some other things he doesn't like about these guys. They are all about risking all for God. Mm-hmm. Why would they care, buy-ins and friends? Well, I think he goes back down to, again, pretending like their authority is inside of the scriptures and then saying that if that stuff is in there as well, which apparently they didn't know about, a lot of stuff they didn't know about, if that stuff is believed, it's believed for a reason and it's because it's in there and then now I have to deal with it. Yeah. Try as I might to to try and forget it, to try and ignore it, but like a lot of really harder meteor doctrines inside of the Bible— when you come across it, it becomes harder to just do away with it. You mm-hmm. have to you have to deal with it. You have to make a decision on it. You have to you have to study it and, and learn about it. And and this is a challenge to his entire worldview, is saying coming from the exact same book. So 
who handle it properly. Who wore it better. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and and it's it's an uncomfortable thing to do, I think, it, to, to, to have yeah. to examine one's worldview. And then as you start to see that your entire worldview is propped up and built on faulty presuppositions and lies, mm-hmm. I would much rather go back to counting my money. I'd much rather go back to you know feasting and drinking. I'd much rather go back to anything else than have to honestly deal with Scripture. It reminds me a bit of, and probably because I'm preaching through Ezra, uh, in Ezra, when, when the Samaritans come up and say, we're going to help with build this temple, meaning, of course, they also want to say in how the temple yeah. is run, and they have their syncretistic religion that blends uh, Yahweh worship with you know, probably worshiping Molech and Baal and everybody. And and they're told, no, uh, you don't have any part in this. This is something we're doing. Our God called us to do it. The king said we should do it. And we're just going to do it. Thanks, but no thanks. And you'd think they'd say, well, we don't care. Whatever. Okay, we'll do our own project. But instead, it gets so under their skin that someone told them, no, your way is not right, that they turn on them. And they spend their, all their spare time writing letters and all these smear campaigns to get buildings shut down. Why do you care? Why not just... In fact, isn't this what Bayan said he wanted? Yeah. We just walk together and who cares about this stuff? And yet, once somebody has said something that, that might give rise to conviction, yeah. he's got to either give in to the conviction or hammer that back down. And the best way to do that is to just strike out at the people who did the convicting. Yeah. Show them to be jerks, self-righteous whatever, and then I don't have to worry about it. It's what you were saying as well, I think. Yeah. It's, it, it's a very common, and I've felt this. I mean, obviously, if you are a Christian, you recognize you don't hold all the correct points of view. If you yeah. think that every point of your doctrine down to how many angels can dance on the head of a pin is accurate and couldn't be more accurate, yeah. that's pride and that's a sin, so boom, it just self-destructed. There, are, there have been times when someone has challenged me on something and and I've thought to myself, especially if it's something where they're like, I think what you're doing or preaching or permitting is sinful. Yeah. The human response isn't an honest exploration of whether they're right. It's a defense of my current position and often a counterattack. Yeah. At least for guys, I think. Uh, I know that's my... I think for people. Yeah. yeah just in general. Really, yeah. I mean, these people do believe this, I think, I think, at the end of the day. Oh, yeah. Beliefs well, they've been are, trained from... Beliefs are little children, yeah are precious things that we do hold on to. They are important, and and and, and it, I don't think it's possible to really challenge someone's beliefs without it being an emotional experience. So, you know, a lot of the times as humans, when we're forced to react out of emotion, it's more animalistic, it's a little more base than what's, maybe it would be. What's so interesting about this one, though, is that even though there's that, that animal response, yeah. it's all tempered by them priding themselves in being men of fair speech. Yeah. And I think... In a lot of Western culture today, this is kind of the vibe. Like, I'm going to stay very academic and dispassionate about this, but skewer you anytime you suggest that I'm in the wrong or I can't convince you that you're in the wrong. But very much in a superior and calm and cool and I'm not upset kind of a way. Yeah. Which is the fair speech way. It's corny and, and nowhere in Bunyan's original, but I, I, I was pleased with... The interactions in the the vignette that I did in the town of Fair Speech with the card game, where anytime someone's hackles got up, Lord Fair Speech, who is really the keeper of this tradition, says, "Ah, hold on, that doesn't sound like Fair Speech." Everyone uh-huh. remember who we are. Yeah, it's not the problem in your heart. Just you know, couch it in poison mixed with with sugar. Then you're mm. okay. Yeah, people might think, okay, I haven't given in to that animalistic 
response, you know, that yeah. defensiveness. It, yeah, you have. You've just mm. been shrewder about it. Of course, the idea of uh, risking all for God is very biblical, and there's nothing more Christ-like that one can do, uh, both in emulating and obeying Jesus. If you look at Acts 15, that's the Jerusalem Council, and they, in their, their findings, after uh, looking into the, the matters of, of Gentiles and, and the Apostle Paul and things, they say, it, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So having risked their lives for the truth, it's almost a prerequisite for the kind of high-level work that Paul and Barnabas are about to do, because it's going to require further risking their lives. And gosh, every day they were risking their lives. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, those are the real heroes of the faith. Mm. I don't get a Christianity that doesn't hold that up to be emulated and instead says, ugh, those people are all about holding to their beliefs, even if it's going to be dangerous to them. And yeah. I think in our culture today, I mean, look at the movies that are made that lionize people. Almost mm. always it's someone in exactly, even if it's anachronistic, you know, this is fourth century China True. and the hero is a girl who rejects the patriarchy of the day. Mm-hmm. And, and we go, oh, wow, somebody who holds to principles regardless of the cost. I think that's universally celebrated now and it must sure. not have been in Bunyan's day. But is there maybe a, a lever in there, a leverage to go in and bring the gospel and... and uh, the history of the church, the early history of the church, the book of Acts, Christ himself to people, because it's the most, it's the purest form of that. Yeah. To kind of use that cultural expectation like a Mars Hill. Yeah. Know? Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I see that. I see that you like the underdog story. I see that you like. The, and God put that in you. Yeah. yeah. I think that that definitely has its uses for, um, um, for evangelism. There's, is there really an attempt at evangelism here? Or is it a case where Christian realizes these guys are the wrong kind of soil? These are the dogs who destroy the holy things and then turn on you and tear you to pieces and just says, forget it. Yeah, I think that there could be a use, but I think largely you need to be able to read that other person and they're not buying it. They're not interested in it. They yeah. don't want anything of it. They're shooting down or not even shooting stuff down, right? They're not even getting really argumentative. They're just, they're just kind of like, I'm sorry how I appear to you. But yeah. let's walk together anyways. It's not a fish on a hook. They're not biting. You're not going to get deeper inside that person's reasons for believing the things that they believe at all. All they want to do is debate stuff that's kind of surrounding the gospel and mm-hmm. never get into the gospel. Yeah. yeah. And then... And then and Christian's got a guy on the other side of him who need, who's, who's chomping at the bit to learn more Bible, more of yeah. what it means to be a pilgrim, better use of his time. And I think, and I think that's also where you have to be kind of careful, you know, too, is that, is that is, what is Christian going to expose hopeful to mm-hmm. through sitting in the seat of the scoffers is he ready right yeah yeah, you, yeah. Know, you, you go down that psalms one list and you go well you know who does this hurt yes it hurts you but it also hurts your family the people with you things like that to be to be, to be seen in this light to be, to be put up in this light mm, yeah maybe it's best that we just go our separate ways but it, it doesn't stop them from trying to save them later Right. From, yeah. From genuinely they, calling back for Dimas, their souls. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so yeah. You know, I think that I think that there's a way that we there's also could be you know some less less like super intentional evangelism. I'm going to get to the bottom of your soul. I still have a duty to express Christ to these people. So I'm going to call back. Do not. I I beg of you. Do not listen to this person. He will kill you. Yeah. Yeah. This, like this will be and especially I mean he has to know right. This is exactly what they're primed for. Mm-hmm. Everything yeah. that this guy just tried to sell, these are primed for it. Yeah, he sees them coming like yeah. 
a mile away mm-hmm. or more. And, you know, I we don't know what happens to them. In fact, I love how Bunyan says, even in my dream, I didn't see whether they fell off, whether they went down to dig, what what happened. Yeah. I, it's a chance Dimas was like, money love? You're my kind of guy. I've been meaning to retire. You take over. Mm-hmm. I mean, because they're like that trained and raring to go in that yeah. same sort of quote-unquote ministry. And he may have found in these guys kindred spirits for his work. One or or one is convicted and he becomes convert or something like that. Ooh, convert know? in part three? Yeah, mm-hmm. something like that. You know, he. Uh... We've been we've been talking about part three lately, the pseudepigraphical part three of the Pilgrim's Progress, which may. Which may get woven in a little bit to season two of this of this podcast. Who knows? Now, when Hold the World starts commenting on these people, mm-hmm. he th- he thinks predictably that the most foolish part of Christian and Hopeful's worldview is that they don't hold the world. Essentially, <laughs> that they they yeah. hold these things and they have the liberty to keep what they have, but they're so stupid, so unwise as to lose what they have. And Matthew 16 has a little something to say about how stupid it is to be willing to lose what you have. Matthew 16, 24 says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? These are all texts that have not been uh, meditated upon by the men of fair speech. You know, Reverend Two Tongues never brings that up as his text on the Lord's Day. He never brings the cross up on his text on the Lord's right, Day. For unless sure. it's all about, let's sin the all the more that grace may abound. Right. Because the cross is so powerful, because Jesus is so meaningful. Because, as a symbol, but not as a yes, reality. Yeah. Uh, and, so he brings up resurrection, but not the resurrection. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Rather than being that stupid, Hold the World says we are, just like the scriptures say, as wise as serpents. And of course, that's a reference to the teaching of Jesus. Matthew ten sixteen. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Now he's got that first part memorized. We're as wise as serpents. Yeah. And yet, uh, Genesis 3.1, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord has made. Mm-hmm. And we know that's the beginning of the temptation narrative and, and the fall of man and the curse of sin. What a perfect little microcosm of mm. this. We have a verse that's short and sweet that anyone could memorize. You yeah. could say it to somebody once and say, repeat that to me again at the end of the day. And they'd be like, okay, because it's yeah. visual. Wise as serpents, as innocent as doves. And then... At the end of the day, they say, be as wise as serpents. Yeah. Because they've focused in on the half that they like yeah, and dropped the half that they don't. And I think it's easy enough to do that with, uh, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. Right. What did Jesus say? Oh, neither do I condemn you. Yeah. You know, so sin yeah. all you want because I forgot that that second part. I just, uh, it, it reminds me of an old sermon illustration uh, that there was a, a beautiful, what? So many things. This do. happens a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, there this was, dude speaks in sermon illustrations. <laughs> it's a beautiful old chapel, right? Out in the, in the probably the English countryside, probably in Bedford. Mm-hmm. Uh, and carved into the side of it, it says the words, We preach Christ and him crucified. Uh, referencing how Paul desired to know or purposed to know nothing amongst you but Christ and him crucified. And they did. And it was like a really, really wonderful church full of revival constantly and people turning to Christ and baptism things. And then... Uh, Ivy grew, okay? 
it's just, it doesn't really happen. I see. Mr. Sagacity. It's I a, see. It's an allegory. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and it covered up the, uh, and him crucified. Yeah. So as the people went on, then it said, we preach Christ. And they did. They preached Christ, the social reformer, sure. Christ, the revolutionary, Christ, the life coach, Christ, the guy who's, you know, in your corner, all sorts of different. They still preached Christ. They still did it very, very fervently. And the ivy grew a little more. And it just said, we preach. Mm. And so they did. They preached, you know, uh, self-reformation. They yeah. preached uh, temperance. They preached uh, whatever the case, uh, self-confidence and esteem. And before long, they'd lost the entirety, even though they still had those last two words. Mm. Uh, and that's certainly the kind of church that you find in fair speech. And I think every church has the potential to go down that road because... Just like that ivy growing, it's incremental. And a preacher and church leadership can discover, hmm, I get more people interested and more excitement from these topics that are affirming of self rather than denying self, that, if, that, that downplay sin rather than condemn it and call you to repentance. And you just slowly slide. You know, it's not a fall like from the top of Hill Luker and you land with a splat. Mm-hmm. It's a slow slide down and you suffocate by the, the toxic fumes that, yeah. that come up from the vents. That's a real reality when you start saying, shrewd as serpents. It's yeah. in the Bible. Mm-hmm. You know, or, or any partial truth. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's, there's a reason we say when you go and give your oath, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Because you can tell true things in such a selective way that it makes them a lie. Yeah, absolutely. And that's very true with Scripture, right? It's, it's again, it's exactly what Satan did in the mm-hmm. temptation. Yeah. You know, these are true things I'm saying to you. Of, of, of course you can make bread out of stone. Of course you could... I'll even quote Scripture. Right, right Angels right. will bear angels you up and you won't strike your you foot up. against it's the rock. Absolutely. Yeah. These, are, these are true, real realities that I am intentionally misimplying. Yeah, and I think my favorite part of, of uh, our episode here is the exuberance of Hold the World when he, he starts uh, quoting scripture and then he yes. accidentally slips into quoting like human proverbs but applying yeah. them to scripture. That's the next logical step, right? Uh, the the bee sleeps in the cold months, just as the good book says. There is a disturbing lot of people that would, if you were to do one of these things where you just went out to the street and you played Bible or not, mm. you know? Oh, buddy, yeah. I feel like I feel like you could slip in a lot of kind of just cultural old cleanliness is next to family, right, right, family wisdom said by your grandmother and if someone just just said it was from the bible who looked like maybe they knew what they were talking about because there's not a brian attitude generally inside of the church people wouldn't say hmm, let me check even though it's easier now to check Right, never. Just Google just it. Just Google yeah. it on your phone or something. Hmm, is this really scriptural? And then also, what's the context of it? But I think it would skip past shocking and go into quite sad the amount of people you could just... Oh, yeah, that's definitely in the Bible. 100%. That's in the Bible. No? Yeah. Well, I mean, you, and you <laughs> could... Ultimately, where he lands is uh, mm-hmm. that if you really understand the, the scriptures and, and who God is, that we wouldn't have all the good things we have. Yeah. Uh, like... Parmesan cheese, which, by the way, back then was spelled with a Z. Wow. Um, and Crazy times. Yeah, right? I mean, that's how you know you've yeah. made it. We're spelling yeah. Parmesan with a Z. Z? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
And, and you know, all the, the money that we have and all the definitely it's a, a nice, wealthy place to live in Ferris Beach. God gave it to us and therefore he must, this is what he says, for the thoughtful person, it stands to reason that if God has given us the good things of this life, then he would have us continue to enjoy them in this life for his sake. That's another really popular notion right now. Yeah. Even you can like give lip service to God's sovereignty, hmm. but only so far insofar as it's like, yeah, because I have a, a nice ride and a good job. And I'm and if you and lose it, if you lose it, it's not God's sovereignty. Right. And right. when I think about people who are living in poverty, in, unless they're wicked, hmm. that doesn't fit into my weird definition of God's sovereignty, which has to yeah. like submit itself to human will. But, yeah. but, but I mean, people who say our creed literally is. We are most zealous when people all smile on our faith and, yeah. and religion goes out in his silver slippers. And we, we are absolutely in his train on those days. Uh, but if, you know, it gets cool and people despise religion, we don't strive against wind and tide. We, we're going to back off. Well like, well, like we just read, you know, you know Jesus saying in Matthew 10, um, uh, you know, they think that they're sheep, but they're wolves. Mm. And they just don't possess that scriptural mirror to look into it and say, oh, I'm a wolf. I'm not a sheep. You know? When Jesus talks about wolves in sheep's clothing, that's always had kind of a dual visual for me. I think as a kid, I thought of it as very goofy and kind of funny. And it's possible Jesus did mean to kind of show the absurdity of something by, like, ha having you summon up an image of a wolf wearing, like, a sheep costume. Mm. But at the same time, if you think of it as creepy... It really is. Like, especially if it's darker, you know, it's just moonlight and you and you see all the sheep and then they're all moving around and one of them looks up and you see the yellow eyes glowing in the lantern light or whatever and the, you know, viscous saliva coming off the fangs and you go, oh no, they've slipped in. Hmm. But the idea that they buy their own costume and think they're sheep, the yeah. level of self-delusion... It, it is stunning what people can get themselves to believe about themselves. What you and I probably have convinced ourselves throughout our lives, you know, uh, convincing ourselves that we're justified in, you know, I I can be really hateful right now because of the circumstances around it. It's or or I can watch this, or I can do this, or I can listen to this. I'm or mature I can, enough. Right, yeah. right. Mm -hmm. I'll be fine. And, and then, somebody and else might stumble. If I, I would counsel someone else to avoid it. And it's that quick switch of going from. All of our faith, all of our trust being completely tied to Christ to putting that confidence right back into the flesh. Mm -hmm. I'll be fine. Yeah. I'll be okay because of who I am. Because of who I am. And, and I'm a you tough know, guy. I'm a tough guy. All of my worldly wisdom and all these different things. Oh, I'll be able to conquer this particular sin. It's not a problem. The, the scripture given is, is uh, Acts 14, 17. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. I think we probably also could point to uh, Jesus saying that God brings the rain on the just and unjust alike. There is such a thing as common grace where it doesn't imply God's super happy with you right now. So yes, well, you've got those cheese wedges and you've got a lot of wealth, but that doesn't mean you're right in your approach. The pagan king's God you know, raises up throughout the Old Testament to punish and crush Israel had nice things. Oh, yeah. You know, like, like I'm sure, I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar's pad was pretty sweet anywhere he was, you know. And, and was, Belshazzar, he's got everything, including, hey, sure. you know what, just for fun, bring up the holy relics from one yeah. of the peoples we conquered we, until God says, yeah, now, 
You're done. Like You've been weighed and found wanting. Having possessions to kind of point at as a means of like, well, this is certainly God's favor and not also God's judgment. <laughs> mm. Your heart is lusted after riches, and I gave you that exact thing that you wanted only to have you stand in front of me on judgment day and then say, well, you wanted riches. Are they saving you? Yeah. No, they're not. Yeah, you, know. you want to. It's uh, God does answer prayers in order to rebuke and, and yeah. correct. You want a king like the other nations? Here you go. I've told you it won't work out, but have fun. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. And so the assumption that receiving something that you feel is a blessing means God is blessing you, and therefore that means that your approach to God is is correct. Yeah, is like three fallacies like braided together, especially when rebuked with scripture. Because, because that shows where your treasure in your heart really is, is, is you know, you're not going to take it on the chin and be easily corrected like Apollos was. People come along, they rebuke me with scripture, and I go, oh, okay, and I change. They're not genuine believers because people come along with scriptures, give you the scriptures, say, here's where you're wrong, and they go, those can't be right. Next. You know, Next. move on. Uh, and you uh-huh. go, then you're not even going to check. Yeah. You're not even going to think. You're not, I'm assuming you're, you're taking that out of context. Yeah, you're not. You're not, not going to. You're not going to pray about it. You're not going to engage with them at all. Hmm. That yeah. That tells yeah. me you're afraid of what you're going to find. Where's that wisdom? I think that perhaps more so even than um, Ecclesiastes, the ultimate book that you could mine for proof texts and pull them out of context and wind up with some really wonky stuff is going to be Job because his his friends that speak to him and share their wisdom in these lengthy poetic diatribes. Um, I guess a diatribe's got to be two people, but in these in these soliloquies are much of the time bringing like foolishness and, and nonsense to him. Uh, now, in this case, it's Eliphaz who's speaking. But when this when they finally get up beyond making hay while the sun shines and all these things that aren't in scripture, he references Solomon and Abraham who were made rich by religion. No, they weren't. Mm-hmm. They were righteous men, and God, during an age of covenant that was physical and visible, blessed them, um, but not via religion. People in the Old Testament who got rich by religion were continually rebuked, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, who is it, Hophni and Phinehas? Is that Eli's sons, the, the high priests, who like took more than their portion and stuff? This kind of stuff won't stand in, in any age. But then he says, and what about Job? And quotes Job, sort of. <laughs> He says, he says it's good to lay up gold in the dust. Okay, Job doesn't say that. It is Eliphaz, the Temanite, uh, who is answering Job, saying that. And this is what he says. If you lay gold in the dust and gold of Ophir among the stones of the torrent bed, then the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. For then you will delight yourself in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. Now, to get from that, in its context, in this back and forth, well, they sit on an ash heap and the only righteous, upright guy in the midst is scraping himself with a broken pot shirt because he's covered in boils Mm -hmm. to, well, obviously God wants what's best for us because we have what's best. Hmm. Well, what did he want for Job? Job was righteous and upright, and there he is with his wife telling him, curse God and die. You've you've referred back to a text that defeats your own premise, Mm -hmm. but because you've gone in with a laser and not taken in the whole vista, yeah. you can do this. By the way... Uh, just text, the entire book kind of refutes what you say you believe. Yes. At the very, very end, all the friends, right, give a sacrifice because of their advice. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because yes. of what they were telling Job. You are so wrong. This is why <laughs> you read the Bible. Yeah. You don't just read 
the three verses at the top of our daily crouton or whatever, that's fine if you do that too. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a place for devotional reading. I mean, morning and evening, they're short, but also be reading the Bible so mm-hmm. that when you read those few verses at the beginning of a devotional, you can say, oh, I know what the context is of this. I know what happens in Job and who's who. Uh, did you know who the shortest person is in the book of Job? Who the shortest physically, person is? Yeah, the physically shortest. the shortest? No. I can't say that I do. It's Bildad the shoe height. Come on now. <laughs> you don't got to make fun of a guy. <laughs> you just give me his name. <laughs> uh, I, I like when we get into these numbered arguments because, sure. I don't know, I almost feel like we've got like the British... 17th century version of like you know the gif of like the the circle of guys and it's either like a rap battle or just like a, a okay. insult war sure and they're all like ah going crazy yeah. i feel like as these things pile up there's building response from the crowd and encouragement Interesting. Um, don't, don't you get that impression as money love is going through here are all my reasons why the minister or the merchant is okay well and that's what makes it sad is that, is that it shows their grouped ignorance. Yeah. The fact that they're all ignorant. Pooling they're, ignorance. Yeah, they're all, they're all coming together and they're going, oh, wow, this is really, really good stuff, right? And they're, they're all agreeing. And they're, Can't wait yeah. to try it out on real yeah, people. Yeah. It's going to work really you well. Like, uh, you get like a, lot of, a, lot of that, a lot of that high-fiving and that, you know. This can happen in a Christian context, too. Where Absolutely. you have only people who are in absolute agreement and all already convinced. Yes. And they will just trade, you know, kind of reasons for why they're right. And if no one challenges it, then they go on thinking these are sound arguments. I'd say that that's happened quite a bit when people can offer, like, basic logical arguments. I know people who have, have entered into crises of faith over seemingly really simplistic constructs inside of the Bible and you look at it and you go, this should be an easy thing to jump over. This should be an, an easy thing to research and, and, and to climb above, but you just, you've never thought about it because it's never, mm-hmm. it's never been challenged. Never been challenged. You've always kept in the circle. You've kept yourself safe from any kind of real disruption inside of your faith. And then it comes along at work or however it comes along. And now it's, oh, gee, can I believe any of it? I think it's it's like fighting, in mm-hmm. a sense. If you you can yeah. you can go and pound on the heavy bag for an hour a day, work the speed bag, do the drills where you're you know uh, weaving and bobbing and, and and do all this stuff. Sure. And and you can do it for years, and you can and you can do it with other people. Yeah. And you can say, all right, I'm a very accomplished boxer. Yeah. And then the first time you get punched in the face, yeah, it all goes the away. whole world is just topsy turvy and. Yeah. I think that kind of happens with these guys. And I think it happens to a lot of Christians. Yeah. I do a lot of reading. I do a lot of spending time in, in Facebook groups with people who think exactly like me. And anyone who even dares question it is is banned <laughs> because yeah. we don't want to deal with that. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, oh, hey, can you talk to my friend? He's maybe falling victim to one of these uh, modes of thought. And the moment you engage, you go, oh. It's different when there's a person who actually can mm. can think mm-hmm. on the other end of this and can can reason back. And yeah. uh, I think it's important for people, not right away. I think it's smart to keep hopeful away from this yeah. at the moment. But as you mature, it's, it's part of our calling in the Great Commission as well to you know engage with people who don't believe. But as you mature to to be 
working on your ability to take captive arguments and, you know, lay waste to all of these ungodly uh, systems and, and be able to show the truth of the gospel itself mm-hmm. uh, and, and not get drawn away into debates about stupid stuff and not, yeah. you not get tripped up by a, a detail because you've dealt with that detail. You've encountered this argument before. Mm-hmm. Uh, these guys haven't. The case study is there's somebody who is in kind of a lowly position who by feigning a zeal about religion that he doesn't really have in an area in which he has never really meddled before uh, can attain a higher position. Whether it's a minister or whoever, a, a, a shopkeeper, predictably money love thinks it's a good idea. <laughs> and his first reason is his desire for a more prosperous parish is lawful. And this beyond contradiction, because it is providence that has set this opportunity before him. So let him pursue it with all of his might without questioning his conscience. So don't have the wrestling internally. Uh, Don't even be in prayer about it. And the thing that he may have in mind here is 1 Corinthians 10, 25 to 27. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Uh, So he's saying God placed this in front of him, just like somebody might put a dish of food and eat away. Don't question it. Don't struggle with it. Mm. What a terrible misuse Mm. where the background is completely different. Yeah. So instead of setting aside your own misgivings about something because of your background in order to have opportunities to evangelize, you're setting aside your opportunities to minister in order to build up your own wealth. Yeah. Could that be any more different? His other reasons are just, I mean, they're just as stupid. I do like the piling up of all the things that are good. Mm. It's good to be virtuous and become religious. It's good to have better customers. It's good to do every. It's all good here. Yeah. So if you object to it, you must not be good. Mm, why don't well, yeah. well, why didn't we think to say that <laughs> yeah. when we were talking to buy-ins? What do you think are some of the arguments? Have you ever come across one of these where it was clear that somebody thought something was very clever and, and, and indefeatable, invincible as an argument, and then you've knocked it down in mere moments? I mean, I think that we can look at things historically. What, what was that? Uh, I don't think it happened in my lifetime. It definitely happened in yours. Oh, ow! Because I think it was a little bit before I was born. What was that? What was that city that they thought like didn't exist and like they were saying it, like it completely disproved the Bible? They were like standing on it. Yeah, that's way before my time. But oh, uh, okay, yeah, no, they they were looking for the Tell that would be the capital of the Hittite Empire. Yeah, and obviously, if you, I mean, I'm not an archaeologist, but it's a uh, interest of mine, and, and especially you know biblical archaeology. You look for a little bump. They call that a tell. Yeah. And they guessed about how big it ought to be. And they were in the all over the area looking, looking, <laughs> looking. And then somebody yeah. realized it's so enormous. We've been standing on it the whole time we've been looking. Yeah. And they started digging. And then it used to be one of those things like, oh, yeah, the Bible's true. How do they talk about this Hittite, quote unquote, empire yeah. that never existed? And there's no. And now, I mean, we know an awful lot about it. Same thing's true of, say, Caiaphas. Yeah. Um, there's no reference to Pilate. There's no reference to Caiaphas. And then these things come up. And we have Caiaphas's ossuary. I've stood three feet away from it. Mm-hmm. It's I read the name in Aramaic on the side of it. And you go, yeah, that's where his bones were. Yeah. They're not there anymore. But we've got the box. It's got the right dad. It's the exactly what you'd expect for a high priest's bone box to look like. Yeah, I think that happens a lot with scripture. Things, things like that, you just look at it and you go, it's... I mean, that one especially because you're, you're standing 
on it. Right. You know, like you're literally on a, top of the answer and you're looking all around. Your yes. Yeah, you're looking around and you're saying, no, I don't see where it is. It's and like, like, where's God? I don't see him. And it's like the, the breath you're using to yeah. say that is, yeah. is evidence of So him. I I think that that one's, I mean, it, I someone I'm close with, um, you know, kind of their throw out argument for the reason why they don't believe is that because there's no record of the the census, uh, the census or that, something yeah. like that. And you look at that and you go, that's such a pointless, stupid, like, that's it. That's it. One of the biggest empires to ever exist. You know, we knew that they did this often, the concept of census. And because you can't find a reference to this particular one, you can find references to other ones. But this but, particular but one had to go back to their ancestral home and not during when Quirinius was governor. Right. And, and you go, OK, if we haven't found it yet, it doesn't exist. And until they find it, I can smugly. I can do whatever I in. want. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. you go, that's really silly. You know, that's a silly, silly way to believe until they prove gravity. I can float around. <laughs> I, I, I don't have to pay attention to it. I don't have to. Come on. You know. Yeah, and, and you know there are moral arguments that are a similar thing. You know, sure. prove prove this, prove that, and, and I, I remember I was I was really into for this is going to make you laugh at me. I was really into uh, Matas Yahoo. Remember him? He was a can't even pronounce that name, so I don't. Know. Well, it's, it's the Hebrew version of the word name Matthew, uh, which okay. means, means gift of God. He he is he's still he's still out there he's still but he, it, at the time he was a Hasidic Jew and uh, and he did like reggae <laughs> like rap mixed with reggae oh and no but a lot of it was about like it was a lot of Hebrew in it so I liked I was in seminary at the time and I liked like trying to see what I could hear and understand but he was interviewed by uh, I would say Relevant magazine or somebody and they always ask um, you know what what is your opinion of of Jesus and his claims and stuff and his response was it didn't work. So this Jesus came, and obviously he wanted to bring peace, and he wanted to bring you know order, and all this, and it just didn't work. Look at the world now; it's worse than it ever was. It was a failed experiment, <laughs> and that's it. And that seems to to a lot of people, I think, like a pretty convincing argument. I don't come to bring peace. I come <laughs> right. to bring the sword. <laughs> right. uh, but he calls. He calls do not be shaken. Peace. Do not be shaken when you hear all sorts of rumors of war yeah. and all this kind of stuff happening further, around yeah. me. Just like Christian says, baby Christians could make arguments. Right, mm-hmm. uh, like out of the things you're saying, you go, "This is goofy." Now, as a guy who was a, a Jewish man and a Hasidic Jew, a, a, a real like serious religious Jewish guy, and someone whose ancestors undoubtedly had struggled with anti-Semitism and maybe True. been burned in the ovens, you could see how he would say, "It didn't work. Look what they did to my people instead of instead of blessing them." For and, and you can understand how the emotion can get into it, and you, and and I think that's the situation where you don't say let's part ways. You go, yeah, there's some stuff to struggle with here. Let's suss out the difference between who Jesus is and who all of his self-professed followers are. Mm-hmm. And we can go back in the Bible to the very beginning and find that there are false brothers right off the bat. In the original twelve, there's there's a false brother. Uh, throughout the New Testament, you know, you can do the work, but I think that that, that kind of little gotcha John defeater gotcha. of Christianity or of anything, you know, yeah. anytime there's like this trite, too cute by half little gotcha there, or even three or four in a row, like Money Love brings, mm-hmm. that's another tactic. Mm-hmm. And, and this is an informal logical fallacy, is to just start piling on arguments. And then if somebody takes one of them apart, you say, okay, that's that one, but there are still 97 others. 
And at which point someone goes, okay, how much time am I going to sink into this conversation mm-hmm. where I'm going to have to, you know, and then when I get done with those other 97, you're going to bring up 62 more, you know, just yeah. kind of overwhelming with, with arguments. That seems to also be kind of, but Christian's willing to, to yeah. meet them head to head, tit for tat on those. Well, I think especially with your, with a younger Christian there who you're working on discipling, who could fall into some of these things. I know I will be a lot more combative with individuals that, Sometimes we have over to our house or unbelievers uh, if my children are around. Right, yeah. Here, yeah. Are, here, are, here are answers. Yeah, they're, they're here are answers. answers. Yeah. I'm not going to sit quietly, and and then I'm going to ask you hard questions, and you're not going to have answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, yeah, and you're protecting them from the wolves. Yeah, exactly. So it's like gauging where we are, engaging who we are inside of moments is really important. So in, in Bunyan's text, they like, uh, and this may be better, but I think it was more natural to have... Uh, have them talking about it and have Christian and Hopeful catch up, especially because I feel like Christian and Hopeful are more worried about making progress and moving quickly. And these other guys just are ambling across the ro- along the road. But uh, whether they stop and wait for them to catch up or they run real fast to catch them, which is, it makes it all seem more petty, right? Mm-hmm. Like how Bunyan has them, like, we yeah. got to catch them so we can catch yeah. them. Yeah. Um, and they get up to them and they pose, like, exactly the scenario because they're like, if we do it exactly the same, the conversation will go exactly the same as it did with them not here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. and Christian's response, as we've already said, is even a babe in religion could answer 10,000 10, such questions. For according to John six twenty six to 27, it is certainly unfo- unlawful to follow Christ for bread. And John six twenty six to 27 says, uh, of course, this is a reference back to the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. Um, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. And so according to that, it is certainly unlawful to follow him for bread. Then how much more abominable is it to turn he and religion into a stalking horse for the purpose of obtaining and enjoying the world? That's so relevant in <laughs> In this day and age, uh, the stalking horse idea, like so often when you hear extended preaching, if it's on TikTok or YouTube, or I guess it can't be extended on TikTok, but you know, you, you, you get to these people via a broad audience and a lot of acceptance, even from the world, and you recognize the cross is absent. Jesus is the MacGuffin. Hmm. Right. And obviously, yeah. I mean, you know what I mean by that, but obviously yeah. uh, the MacGuffin is like the the thing in the story that doesn't really matter. It makes it happen. The the, the lost Ark yeah. is the MacGuffin uh, or in Dude, Where's My Car? The car is the MacGuffin mm. or actually it has two. The, the Continuum Transfunctioner is also the MacGuffin. Don't watch that movie. It's terrible. So um, the Jesus stuff is just like the stalking horse or the the um, Trojan horse. Sure. The, the, the stalking horse would be the, the decoy that you would place there, you know, and, and it's a fake cover. You can hide behind it, and they're hiding behind Jesus, but selling something else entirely. Uh, also, reference here is John 12, 6. What does that say? I'm going to start with 4. Okay, Put John 12, 4 to 6. <laughs> but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Mm. Yeah. Everything said by these people is not legit. It's not about what they, you know, because they 
can answer with the first question of the Westminster Confession of Faith, what is your soul purpose, right, is to glorify mm-hmm. God and enjoy him forever. Um, you know, the ivy grows over the glorify God segment of that, and it goes to enjoy him forever. That's my sole mm-hmm. purpose here, and how do I enjoy him? And then, and then him? it grows over the him eventually as right, well. Right, just enjoy. Just enjoy. Enjoy. Right? Yeah, eat, eat, drink, and be merry. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, know, you know, that's that's our creed. Um, that's a Christian hedonism, and then the ivy grows over the sure, Christian. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you just hedonism. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah uh, which, which I'm not, I'm saying the, the Christian hedonism notion yeah. of John Piper is good, but yeah, yeah. It, you could... Start there and let it kind of slide. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that text you just read is the the devil one. He says he says to him basically only heathens, hypocrites, devils, and wizards are going to agree that yeah. it's a good idea. And then they want specifics. Give us the specifics, yeah. and he gives them that one for the devil. Judas is the devil, but he wasn't there for the right reasons. Yeah. Um, and then the heathen, of course, uh, the the story of Hamor and Shechem. Uh, I'm a little proud of the moment where he brings up them being sorest on the, the, the second day after the circumcision <laughs> and everyone taking a couple of, of, of Nancy steps as they think about this and grimace together. <laughs> and even though they're on the opposite sides of a debate, as men, they all kind of just go, oh. Yeah. Um, I love that story partially because I, despite hmm. the grace I've received, I always love a good vengeance story when someone has been set upon by someone stronger than them. This is like why I have a thousand Punisher comics at home that yeah. I started collecting when I was a, a lad. The idea of, I mean, the worst thing that a man can do, I think, uh, violate a woman and this guy does it and then tries to, like, plaster over it. Mm. And the 12 brothers just, they just go from through the town and just kill everybody. Mm. And then that being a picture of, if, you know, you're going to be this heathenish person, but you want to use true religion, that's... It's going to end badly for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the hypocrites, of course, hopeful brings up the Pharisees. They, they, they're devouring widows' houses in their piety. Obviously, that's something to be avoided. And then, wait a minute, though. You said a wizard. Yeah. yeah. And it's gotcha. Simon Magus. Yeah. Uh, Magus, of course, is the, the singular of magi. Uh, this guy is indeed some kind of, of sorcerer, conjurer, and he wanted, you know, oh, I love this Holy Spirit stuff. Yeah. Uh, can I buy it? Yeah. And Peter says, may your silver perish with you. Uh, And that's in Acts 8, verses 19 to 22 are in view here particularly. It's one of my favorites. I love that. And yet they leave the door open. Peter leaves the door open that he might repent and and might still be saved. And and I love that too. Mm -hmm. You know, what what a great testimony it would be for Simon to stand up and say, you know, I tried to buy the Holy Spirit once. Yeah. I, I think that's another example of being able to say you can care about someone's soul. And yet, coming at him with, may your silver perish with you, Yeah, it's almost like saying, the sooner you perish, the better for everybody, and your silver with you. And yet, Peter said to him, you know, let me read the whole thing. This is, this is so good. When the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit had been given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this manner. 
for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, for this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Yeah. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So even wizards uh, are, are part of this mix. Uh, none of these men are going to be able to actually obtain what they're after. Mm-hmm. All of them have only one hope of not obtaining eternal damnation, and that is to hurry up and repent. I think when he says, if possible, forgive it if possible, it's a reference to the fact that you start mixing up the Holy Spirit with this stuff, yeah. and you're you're at least getting closer to this notion of the unforgivable sin uh, that can't be forgiven, that won't be forgiven in this world, uh, in this life or the life to come. There are some more texts here. I recommend you, you look at them, but we're going to go ahead for time's sake to the silver mine here uh, at Hill Lucre, and it's very self-explanatory. If you don't know who Demas is, just know that he was someone who worked with St. Paul in his mission uh, endeavors, and then all we really know about him is that he loved the world too much and abandoned the ministry, mm-hmm. uh, his his love of the world. And so that becomes, it's maybe even a little unfair to make him this like super villain. But you know what? He, he had it coming, I guess, to some degree, because he's definitely very, very malicious in, huh. in this text. He's looking to send people to the bottom of this gorge to die. Uh, it's called Hill Lucre, where he stands. Uh, Lucre is like greed, avarice, uh, strong, strong desire for profit and and riches. He calls them up, and when they get too close to the edge of the shaft, the ground will break and they'll fall. Uh, I have him not pushing someone down, but also not saving them. Letting them fall. Yeah, letting them fall. He wants them them 100% to fall. Uh, He calls for Christian and Hopeful to come up. Hopeful is sort of like, that sounds interesting. Let's check it out at least. And Christian says, no, we're not doing it. Uh, this is too dangerous. His call to them is, Ho, friends! Come on, come on up here, and I will show you something quite remarkable. That's the call. Come up. It, it doesn't even say, like, uh, initially, he doesn't say, you know, what's what do you want out of life? I can give it to you. Or anything. Just, mm. I'll show you something interesting. Yeah. I'll draw you aside a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Then I start making my pitch. Then I start making my promises. And a bit at a time, I, I bring you to the edge. And then when they want to know what it is, he says, it's a silver mine. And right now, some are digging in it for treasure. If you also would come here with only a little effort, you will be able to richly enhance yourselves. Uh, and the reference is to Proverbs 28, uh, verses 20 and 22. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. In 22, a stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know the poverty will come upon him. Easily obtained, quickly obtained wealth, well, wanting a shortcut to, to being rich. And, and abandoning the call of Christ down the narrow road to heed the call of even the whispered of promised riches, right? He, he doesn't even have the silver out of the ground to show you. Mm-hmm. He's just saying, abandon that call, come to me, and... And, and look down this hole. Yeah, and I'll stand behind you and everything yeah, will be fine. Don't be worry fine. about it. Yeah. It, it reminds me a bit of Adam the First mm-hmm. and faithful thinking like, well, I've already been to the cross, so I think I'm safe there. Yeah. Maybe I could go earn some money sure. just so I have a little nest egg, a little extra in case this whole road thing doesn't pan out. Then I'll continue on it. Yeah. And, and just come up for a minute and have a look. 
is a pretty innocent thing. But I know, and I'm sure you know in your sanctification, the I'll have a quick look, I'll dabble in this, I'll just think about it for a moment, and then it'll, you know, the the rage or the jealousy or whatever will be out of my system. Mm-hmm. And then you go, oh, wait a minute. I just remembered what I've known my whole life and is reinforced every time I try this trick. Yeah. It just feeds into more of that. Yeah. Uh, and this is just going to feed into more avarice uh, for, for lucre. Lucre sounds like a pirate word, which I think is kind of a cool thing. <laughs> Christian's warning uh, is, listen, this is going to be a snare for those who seek after it because it hinders them in their pilgrimage. Yeah. And uh, the reference being to First Timothy 6, 9, and 10. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. That's exactly describing what's happening here. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. There it is. Yeah. Um, of course, this is often misquoted as yeah. money is the root mm-hmm. of all evil. And you've got mm-hmm. to say, hold on, no, it's the love of money, and it's a root of all kinds of evil. All kinds there of is evil. much evil in the world that the love of money isn't the root of, but there's not a kind of evil that you can't get yeah. to eventually via the love of money. Uh, in fact, the, uh, the Greek here literally means the love of shiny metals, mm. the shiny things. Uh, the, the Greek is uh, bling blingos. <laughs> no, it's not. Nope. <laughs> um, I do love this moment where Christian does the thing that I think Faithful would have done if he was there. Hmm. Walk right up to the bottom of the hill and call him by name and just say, I, I know who you are, dude. Right. You're Damas. I know that you have uh, gone astray and been uh, cast aside, and now you want to lead other people astray and, and mm-hmm. see them uh, fall. And Christian asks him, is, is that your name? Well, yes, my name is Dimas. I am a son of Abraham, or I am the son of Abraham. He's, he's really playing up his, his position, which kind of calls to mind when the Pharisees and the enemies of Jesus said, uh, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How, that you are, how are you going to set us free? Come on there. And he says, I tell you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. And also it calls to mind when uh, John the Baptist says, don't think that because you are sons of Abraham, you will mm-hmm. escape judgment. God can create. So you know, if we're spiritual sons of Abraham, we, we look and go, yeah, I've got the, the fruit of being in the covenant. I, I, I've gone this far just fine. I think I can afford to go aside here and there and abandon my pilgrimage. Remember Damas? And hey, maybe remember Lot's wife? He tries to make himself out as perhaps the greatest uh, son of Abraham or, or even the only son of Abraham, saying I'm the son of Abraham. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, Jesus said, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. I think he might be implying that their father is uh, the devil. <laughs> a good Bible trivia little moment comes up here when he tells him, uh, you may be a son of Abraham, uh, descendant of Abraham in a sense, but more immediately, your father is Judas. You're familiar with Judas, I'm sure, uh, from the New Testament. And your great-grandfather is Gehazi. You remember that guy? I don't. Ooh, a... Gehazi was, in, in 2 Kings 5, he was uh, the guy who um, was the, the attendant of Elisha. That's when Naaman, the Syrian captain, comes because one of his Hebrew slaves said, you know, your illness, your leprosy could be cured by this guy, Elisha. Right. Um, and, and so he goes and he asks 
and he tries to give money after he's cleansed, and Elisha doesn't want it, but Gehazi takes it. Oh, okay. And uh, he's struck with leprosy then, as a result. So this idea of uh, taking a reward and and enriching yourself with... It's it's exactly what Baez and his buddies are talking about. This Mm -hmm. whole thing fits really well together, as does this last piece of the puzzle when they come across Lot's wife. The story here, of course, you know, but I'll tell the dear listeners in case they don't, it is that uh, the angels came and warned Lot and his family, you've got to go. All the cities of the valley are going to be destroyed. Uh, and as they ran away and the, the sulfur is raining down and fire from heaven, uh, this woman, Lot's wife, just looks back, which she's been warned not to do, and is turned to a pillar of salt, um, which, you know, it's been discussed at length whether uh, she's transformed into a pillar of salt or whether she kind of was turned to ash, um, mm. you know, like happened to people with near nuclear explosions and things. Uh, but she's dead, and she remains here then uh, in this story as a reminder. And Jesus himself, in one of the shortest verses of the Bible, uh, you know, Jesus wept is the shortest. Yeah. Uh, this is three words. Remember Lot's wife. Uh, and he says it in the midst of talking about the, the coming of the kingdom. And just as, you know, in the days of Noah... Everything remained as usual. People were not on guard. Judgment came because of wickedness. But those who follow Jesus, they're going to have their eyes open. They're going to watch and pray. They're going to be sober and ready, have their, their lamp oil, you know, all the different parables. And in the midst of this stuff, he just says, don't forget also from the book of Genesis, this stuff has been mm-hmm. modeled for you. Uh, remember Lot's wife. She looked back. I told you if a man... Once you put your hand to the plow. Yeah, puts back. his hand to the plow and looks back, he's not fit for the mm-hmm. kingdom. But remember that Lot's wife showed us if you look back, you also might be more fit to be like, you know, ground up and applied the popcorn uh, yeah. than, than anything. I mean, like th- this is serious. I don't mean to make light of it. This is very serious. Uh, and I, I think that we often make... I remember a Mad Magazine or Cracked. I don't know. I got both as a young lad. Uh, I, think it was, I think it was Mad Magazine does the Bible. And I was like, uh-oh. And, and, and it, there wasn't anything blasphemous, anything about the cross or anything. I remember it being funny. But I remember one of them being Lot going back and, like, collecting his wife. And then having, like, a thing This is like, salt, 10 cents per bag or something. Um, you know, it, it's easy to think of that as being a, a goofy, over-the-top story from the Old Testament. Mm. I tried to portray it in, in, in the Pilgrim's Progress here as being haunting, scary, frightful. You know, this woman, nothing is left but, like, this this husk of of chemical, yeah. you know, just, just, there's nothing left of the person because she looked back. And then as you mentioned, I think before we were even recording, like, uh, hopeful went beyond that. Yeah. He, he looks wanted, at this and says, I wanted to climb that hill. Yeah. I wanted to look in. I wanted that silver. I want, yeah. I wanted all of yeah. it. And you held me back and he, and he thanks, he thanks Christian. Uh, and, and maybe Christians made up for what a jerk he was, uh, yeah, to, right. <laughs> to hopeful in the, in the dungeon. But you know, I often will find that some of the, the real villains of the Bible that we, you know, we read the, the scriptures and go, oh, yeah, you get them, God. Look, they got their just desserts. Then you look at what was in their heart and, and why they did what they did. And I'll go, oh, crud, I've, I've not only had that, but I, I've gone beyond it. Yeah. I haven't just glanced back like Lot's wife. I wanted to climb a, a steep hill to go get the things, not just yeah. to look at them one last time. Think about it. This has been her home. This mm-hmm. is, you know, you, you, you raise your kids somewhere. This is, think about if, if your home was going up in flames, maybe you wouldn't want to see it because it would be traumatic, yeah. but maybe you'd want to get one last look at it before it's engulfed. 
Uh, she doesn't have pictures of it like we yeah. might have of our own right. homes. And she looks back, but she's been warned, don't look back, look forward. And, and you know, instead of focusing on destruction behind you, looking back, look forward to the salvation ahead of you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great lesson for all of us and kind of ties a bow on this whole chapter and this whole series of events that Bunyan gives us. Stay focused on the city. If the enemy comes and reminds you of, you know, all the stuff uh, that you've done, thought, and said that are fittingly burned up by the, the truth of God, the consuming fire, uh, just keep your eyes on, on the city. Keep focused on the shining light and keep on the narrow road. Thanks for listening. To support this program and for additional content and perks, visit patreon.com slash pilgrimsprogress. Make sure you don't miss a beat by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts, and please take a moment to leave us an honest review. This recording, copyright 2022, high and silver, all rights reserved. Produced by Brad Atchison and Zachary Bartles. Theme music licensed from pond5.com. Scripture quotations are from the ESV Bible, the Holy Bible English Standard Version, copyright 2001 by Crossway, a publishing ministry of Good News Publishers, used by permission, all rights reserved. For more audio experiences of my fiction, visit www.zacharybartles.com audio. Hi, and silver. Good. Check.